0: Hey, Katarina, how are you doing today?
1: I'm doing great. I'm happy to be here today. Um, How are you doing? I'm
0: doing wonderful. We had an opportunity to connect before we started recording, so um, really getting to know you. So I appreciate you jumping on today on a super busy day. Um, By the way, I I wanted to lean into a lot of your experience. You said you've kind of touched all the bases around the diamond for revenue operations, which is fantastic. Marketing ops, sales ops, customer success. I'm really excited for the listeners to get to know who you are and your experience, especially around customer experience.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So I have a background uh, working with all the three go-to-market teams um, really closely with sales, uh, really closely with marketing, especially top of funnel, the handoff between marketing and sales. And then I've been really trying to get into more of the CX side of the fence. I've had experience working with them and I'm really happy to see that they're starting to get the spotlight in this down market.
0: So we've gotten to know each other on LinkedIn, but for the folks uh, who are listening who don't know you, maybe give a brief intro. You've been in revenue operations for over a decade. You've worked at some luminary companies, just Zoom. In fact, I think you spent over four years at Zoom. And you were you there during the whole co- the boom of COVID? Because I can tell you, Zoom was one of the most incredible stories to watch during COVID.
1: Oh, yeah. I was there pre-IPO, post-IPO, and literally during COVID. We... I was there when we had to um, prepare for IPO, so getting all of our stuff in compliance and secure. Uh, Post IPO, you know, making sure that we had the insiders list going and what information can and cannot be used by different people. Um, and then during COVID, just being there like twenty four seven over weekends just to help enable all of these companies that needed something right away. I mean, there were there were systems breaking because of. You know, we quadrupled the amount of leads that we were getting in accounts and our systems were not built to. I mean, no one expected that. And Zoom definitely did not expect that to happen. But it was a really fun journey to see because now I understand what it looks like when things go, you know, four times the growth overnight, essentially. Um, it was a fun ride.
0: That's cool. So you got to see the top of the pipeline uh, go supernova. Uh, which is super interesting. So when we think about P- uh, Zoom, for example, like I signed up for a Zoom account, I own one for my for my own proprietary business. I signed up via PLG workflow, I entered my own credit card, I was able to get into the application right away. But I gotta I have to imagine that your customer base is filled not just with the, the onesie z small proprietors, but also you know huge companies. And with that, you typically have to think through how do you support such a heterogeneous set of customers? And one of the easiest ways that I can think through it is to segment it according to a high touch, low touch model where a dedicated account manager or support CSM is on the high touch side of the house for your exclusively, you know, rich clients, high potential clients. And then you have your smaller clients who probably going to get more of an FAQ, more of a self-serve experience with a low touch. I'm curious how you think through high touch and low touch, not just the same, but just overall through your experience.
1: So a lot of different companies have different strategies on how they segment high-touch versus low-touch. At Zoom, it was based off of ARR, so that's a very common way a lot of companies segment their customer base. Um, Zoom did a really good job to build a self-serve model and a community for a lot of those lower ARR companies. And then the really high enterprise level would get dedicated CSMs, dedicated technology um, implementation managers, um, just... They really did a great job of breaking that out. And then I've been at other companies where um, they were thinking of high-touch and low-touch for customers that uh, really needed a lot of help. So Zoom, super easy, user-friendly platform. But then you get to the more complicated platforms like NML Ops type of platform where you need someone that's really technically savvy. A high-touch customer is someone that um you know they always reach out for with questions they need a lot of help they need a lot of hand holding so that's when you want to dedicate more CSM um time and you have a low touch customer where they're a lot more technical technically savvy they can do their own google searching they're all kind of building and they just kind of need like a once in a while kind of reaching out for renewals and what have you so it i like that there's this thinking that's happening out there apart from the usual ARR branding or, or segmentation, that's the norm, but it really is dependent on the conflict, com- the, uh, complexity of the product itself. Um, and, uh, and then how you strategize against that.
0: So I remember, so I remember many years ago, I interviewed for a role at Google and they gave me a case study. One of the case, the case study basically talked about, uh, can you size up the cost? and the operating profile of a customer service department. And I remember thinking, oh, well, okay, let's segment the customer inquiries by channel, by type, severity, um, and then starting to think through, okay, how can we allocate different resources? Obviously, you probably want to protect, you know, high touch motion for your most valuable clients. Your most valuable clients can be measured in a number of different ways. Number one, it's the existing revenue. Number two, it's the potential revenue. So maybe they're, you know, estimated to be a million dollar account, but you're doing 200 K in bookings with them today, 200 K is well below your average, but you can see that they can escalate and climb the ladder pretty quickly. Then I remember thinking through, okay, well, what about the folks that call in and they give them a link, a help help link. And I think one of the beauties of other industries is that you can set up a community, which you, you had talked about. So there's just, there's your help articles, your knowledge base. But then there's also the community, like, for example, you know, there are, for example, for Salesforce, if I have a question, I'm probably going to find an answer on the ideas exchange, or I'm going to find it on stack overflow or Salesforce Ben, or some of these other sites that are out there. Um, So yeah, I think it's super interesting, but you know, when I think about the CSM these days, it's about preserving the integrity of the revenue through renewals and saves, and then it's also about identifying expansion opportunities and either handling the expansion themselves or working with an an expansion manager. Um, But there's always this friction in our CRM and our processes where the sales team and the CS team have to work together. I'm curious how you think about that evolving process, that handoff between both sales and customer success.
1: Oh yeah, so that's something that is definitely being smoothed over now with this down market. So before a lot of it was you just want to get the the logo the new logo you want to make a sale well you know obviously a lot of the thought process before was growth for the sake of growth um, and then you know when when the sale was made there wasn't a lot of thought into you know was there an over promise on products or features that the product team has no idea about or it's like in, in the roadmap like six plus months away from now that's not even gonna um, help the customer today that was promised that they would have that and then the customer success team unfortunately, then has to deal with that, that kind of um, problem. And they might end up with a pre-life churn, which I've seen before at previous companies. So for the handoff process, it, they definitely have to be closer. I've seen it done well, and I've seen it done really bad at companies. The way I've seen it done well is the AE is included still. So they once they make a sale, the AE doesn't go away anymore. Like The, the, the way I've seen it not work is when the AE makes a sale and then completely gets rid of that... To that territory and now it belongs to the CSM. The way I've seen it done well is the CSM and the AE are still partners in the entire process. Whether or not the CSM is the one that's in charge of actually selling for upsells or actually making sale for renewals is up to how the you know the CR wants to segment that but they still need to have that relationship and I think that is what makes it a much smoother process um, and also not, uh, pushing, you know, growth for the sake of growth anymore, which is really good that I'm seeing the down market's not doing that anymore. So that's good.
0: So if you think about that, the attention has shifted from uh, new business to all of the business, right? New is still important, obviously, but I'm personally seeing and hearing on LinkedIn that you take, a, I don't know if you know this metric, but it's called the sales yield. It's the sales plus marketing expense divided by new ARR. And it gives you a ratio of how many dollars are spent on revenue generating teams, as opposed to uh, relative to the yield that you're receiving. That metric today, I think uh, a couple of folks on on LinkedIn, like David Spitz, for example, has cited that metric at around two hundred and fifty percent. So for every dollar of sales and marketing expense, you're uh, you know for every two and a half dollars, you're generating a dollar uh, in sales. So obviously, in uh, incredibly um, difficult expense outlay for you know the cash is coming in the door. And so the shift is the atten- the attention is shifted to existing revenue, existing customers, you know, making sure that those customers don't churn, maybe if they do downgrade, you know, doing it gracefully and setting themselves up for, for, for success down the road if the market ever turns. And so I'm curious in your workflows when you're thinking about you know the information between sales and success, customer success, what type of information are they writing down? and where do they write it down? Do they have an internal meeting? I'm curious about some of the best processes or best practices that you've seen.
1: Yeah, there definitely should not be a separation in conversations. So I've seen, you know, everybody's aware of all hands. All hands, you know, and it's very revenue focused, new revenue anyways, focused. And then maybe you'll have a separate uh, weekly or bi-weekly meeting with just renewals, but you're not including the AEs. I think AE should definitely be in that conversation and that call um it's it's important that there is a uh a promotional way of getting the ae involved in that so you know a lot of sales are motivated by money obviously for revenue um so there's got to be a motivational factor to make sure those aes are interested in those calls and in retaining customers um plus i see that uh and i agree with what you're saying about that number um you know with sales and marketing how it you know they put into two two and a half dollars and get one dollar back with the csm team um what's what's good about this market right now is you have the money you have the customer base what's important is you can also focus on these net new startups um that are going to one day become you know right now they're starting out as smb but they will if once they have you and they're they stick with you and they're the ones that are going to be growing exponentially because they've learned to budget through this down market they've learned to generate revenue through this difficult uh, you know down market what's going on right now with, with budget freezes and everything and so um, that's kind of the shift that I'm seeing um, and how I think um, how I'm thinking through this this question this topic.
0: So with that comes in mind you know, the, the, the process handoff between sales, customer success, you want the customer to feel that they're not necessarily moving down a conveyor belt from one station to the next. It's okay. I'm now on station one. Now I go to station two. What you're hearing is this is a team that has my back and they're shepherding me through the experience. I value helping me through my evaluation. I make the selection I'm putting all my eggs in one basket with you closing the contract. I'm now meeting with the implementation team, the implementation team is helping me get started. And then I'm working with a team that helps me adopt and change manage my own team to be able to use the tool effectively. So with that, I'm curious how you track success, right? It's okay, I write write a next step note to from sales to customer success, customer success takes that note, puts it in a Google doc, then a kickoff deck. Okay, I get that as a RevOps person, that is very hard for me to track. And I love tracking things. So I'm curious, you know, what type of metrics or KPIs have you seen to ensure success with your customer success teams?
1: So, I mean, you have the usual um, health scores of companies, but I would say, you know, um, the time for implementation, you want to make that as short as possible, Um, of course, the difficulty of the product. The longer the implement implementation. So that is something that you want to look at. Um, obviously, you want to look at retention uh, metrics as well. If you're a brand new company, it's going to be really difficult to get a historical trend on that, but you want to make sure that people are sticking around. Um, a lot of companies won't sign three-year deals. A lot of them will just do one-year deals, but being flexible even within that. Maybe if someone is unwilling to Start with you because you're a brand new startup and you're not unknown name. Maybe do six month contracts even instead of one year. And know that can be a that can cause a wrench in a lot of metrics that people like to track. Um, freemiums and trials. I've I've seen great success with that. That's really huge for the customer success team um, to track. So when you have these freemium folks, um, they are technically still customers. Yeah, they're not paying us anything, but they are customers. So flipping them over to paid is, it's really important to track usage metrics. Um, Even with trials, uh, you know, seeing how much they actually use it, if they even logged in and used it, um, keeping up with them to see how how much they like the product. Um, These are all metrics that are really important to be able to track success for, especially for the after sales process. Um, In revenue, ops, a lot of the metrics to track is like, you know, how many people hours are you saving off of these programs that you're implementing? Um, Because we don't directly create revenue, uh, we do generate revenue, quote unquote, through people hours saved because a process is automated manual hours, for example. So, yeah.
0: yeah. I love that. So the idea to tell a story with uh, your data, um, I think what's often missed with a lot of folks is, they don't know what their customers are doing with their product, unless you create the metrics to track it. And then secondly, you need to have that feedback loop with the customer. And usually you get that in the form of like a business review, particularly for your enterprise clients. You want to know, you purchased the solution for a reason. You have a goal in mind. Did you achieve that goal? Are you close to achieving that goal? I can see your product uses metrics, but I don't actually know if you're achieving your goal or not. I can tell you like as a revenue operator and my renewal is coming up, My CFO is always asking me, Jeff, are we going to renew? Are we, are we really using this tool? You know, is this something that you want to keep? And so I have to have a perspective on, okay, well, I'm going to trim costs here. I'm going to maybe transform the bundle. I'm going to ask them for a repricing. Maybe I'll do a product swap of some sort, but quite honestly, I might be logging in every single day, but my CSM on the outside looking in might be thinking. This guy, Jeff really loves our product. He's logging in every day, but he doesn't see the conversation that I'm having with my CFO. It's not until we have that business review, it's not where I can have that, you know, that, that, that open the kimono, that, you know, that real conversation around, you know, we're really thinking about downgrading or churning or product swap, something that you don't want to hear, but you don't see in the data.
1: Oh, and it, and that's, that is such a huge, so it's not just important for the vendor themselves to be tracking these metrics, but also to open it up to the customer. So Zoom did a really good Uh, they did a really good job on this area because um, as an IT administrator of let's say I am managing our Zoom account I can see how many recordings were made or how many people are actually logging into using Zoom or you know I can actually as an IT administrator put that it's already built for me in a dashboard I use that when I'm uh, discussing the reason why I need to renew and a lot of companies they have that data somewhere they're just not Making it available. And that's just a very easy way to um, be able to argue against why a customer wants to churn. And be like, hey, look, you know, I know you want to churn, but did you know that 90% of your org is logging in every single day and actually using the product? And it would disrupt the business quite heavily if you decided to churn at this time. So it's, it's a metric that I think people are becoming more cognizant of, but they're definitely not, they don't know how to use it. They're not sure how to uh formulate it in a way that it's usable for them to sell or to you know promote business
0: So we're coming up in the last segment and i've always asked this if you were to like go into a time machine go back in time meet your younger self i'm curious what type of career advice you would give uh you know give yourself
1: hmm <laughs> I'm not sure, honestly. I feel like I've fallen into a really good uh, flow, like a really good career path. Um, did I know that I wanted to be in RevOps when I graduated college? No, not at all. But I think that not sticking with just sales or not just sticking with marketing, which a lot of operations people do, has really helped me in the long run because um, putting getting this holistic point of view um, is really giving me a step up in understanding, you know, putting together all these metrics for the business and understanding, uh, what's important, what, what are the trends happening out there? Um, I would say if I had a, if I wanted to say something, just be more aggressive at a, an earlier time, um, go out there more. Um, I, I kind of st- stuck with like my first job out of college over six plus years. Uh, I probably should have left, um, earlier because, there's so much more I could have gained in experience, um, that I'm finally able to get as I'm going through all of these different companies that I've been in, in experiencing.
0: I appreciate you sharing that. And for all the listeners out there who want to connect with you and curious, uh, maybe ask you, you know, how can folks get connected with you? Where can they learn more about you?
1: Just reach out to me on my LinkedIn. I am extremely, uh, responsive. I I'm on there every day, just as much as people are on Instagram. That's my LinkedIn. So, uh, just find me Katerina Taurus and you'll, you know, just reach out through email or I'll get back to you as soon as possible.
0: Awesome. Well, thanks. Thanks again, Katerina.
1: Yeah. Thank you so much for having me on this call. This was a really fun conversation. Um, I love talking about this kind of thing and yeah, I really had a, a fun time talking about it.